0: Welcome to the TechLink Health Podcast, an on demand source for the top trending healthcare topics and insights, delivered by key opinion and emerging leaders and as featured on the TechLink Health app. The healthcare industry is rapidly evolving, so, our goal is to connect listeners to the most relevant insights, ranging from digital health to financial well being to interesting side gigs. For more details, visit www.techlink.health.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the TechLink Health Podcast. I'm Govind Shanthram. This episode focuses on value-based care, parity for health services, and biopsychosocial models of well-being. Today's guest is Alex Yarajanian, healthcare executive, consultant, and the founder and CEO of CareNodes. CareNodes provides healthcare services, business opportunities, technology, and training to healthcare startups healthcare groups, and health insurance companies, i.e. the payers. So without further delay, please welcome Alex Yarajanian. Alex, thanks for joining us today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for that introduction.
1: Absolutely. We're uh, super excited to take a deep dive into the work you do and discussions on value-based care. But before we do that, to give our listeners some background can you take a minute to introduce yourself in more detail and tell us about your journey into value-based care?
0: Sure, absolutely. You know, as a healthcare administrator, my experience has really been bottom-up. So from the outpatient to payer and everything in between, I've played management roles across several markets in the United States. I started by managing 28 clinics across California and Texas, providing Behavioral Health and Primary Care Services. It was one of the first kind of co-located models of care. This is pre-ACA or uh, aka Obamacare. And I actually had the opportunity to really implement the ACA once it took effect. Thereafter, I was uh, working at Navi Health, a cardinal health company responsible for managing 14 hospitals uh, in terms of their post-acute care networks, which comprised over 50 skilled nursing facilities and home health agencies across southern california and essentially these were 12 dignity and two hca hospitals we were implementing the medicare bundle payment program and that was essentially medicare uh, fee-for-service patients across selected episodes of care for value-based implementation strategy is one thing implementation is another if you marry those two then um, you'll be successful so humana heard of me and quickly recruited me to serve as the contracting and network leader for Hawaii and Nevada, some parts of California. I was responsible for all contractings from global risk, fully capitated, globally capitated contracts, all the way down to physician level agreements. Late 2018, November 2018, I launched Care Nodes to really be part of the solution. The solution in aligning the healthcare delivery system in a way that uh, we distribute knowledge. And so this experience gave me the insider knowledge as to the workings of a health plan, providers now from hospital down to your outpatient, to your physician level providers, to how do you align incentives across the continuum of care and across the value chain to get things going? Essentially, I founded Care Notes to demystify healthcare care and distribute knowledge, access, and value. So distribution of knowledge, expansion of access, and generation of value. Um, it's a very new model because we wanted to focus on care delivery. And we want to make sure that we bring Care Notes technologies in a way that all of this manual work that me and my many, many teams have done across various places of employment, hospitals, markets, automating that, because we're successful with the manual framework of what we implement in terms of processes, we're generating efficiencies. We're progressively building partnerships. We're engaging so that we could bring in the innovations with the speed that we need to.
1: That's absolutely fantastic. I think the work you're doing at CareNodes is great both on the value you're bringing to the healthcare industry, but also how you are managing to bend that learning curve. One thing you talked about was that you are trying to align the right incentives, or you're pulling the levers to optimize for the value-based chain model. Value-based care is, is really not a new concept necessarily, but it is increasingly an emerging theme in healthcare And it can be interpreted in many different ways. To you, what what is value-based care and and how are you measuring it?
0: Great question. One thing value-based care is not is just a hashtag. And one thing it's not is just a tagline and another marketing post that an organization will put. Oh, we do value-based care. What I like about your question is, to you, what is value-based care and how do you measure it? What are the areas when we say value-based care, what are we talking about? Two major umbrellas. Or well, two sub-segments where you're talking about value in healthcare. There are two categories. There are patient outcomes. And outcomes are essentially things that you can measure, like my blood pressure, my blood sugar outcomes. Better or worse? And patient experience. So the patient's perceived experience, their interaction with the healthcare system, with that healthcare entity, what was their experience like? And that's the patient's subjective self-reported measures, which essentially are through what's called CAPS, which is the standardized way of assessing the patient's experience. And the patient outcomes elements are those HEDIS and RAF scores and essentially these other pay-for-performance metrics we look at. Those are the two major categories when talk about value-based care, what we're trying to say, and how do you measure it in what domain. And it usually involves some level of financial risk. So essentially, either you're going to get rewards, for instance, I pay for performance. There's something in there that you have to manage. So whether it's upside, meaning whether you're going to get a payment for managing these patients well at the end of the year, in terms of those patient outcomes, and if they have reported patient experience, you so will calculate a reward. Um, For more sophisticated providers who have evolved, they can even take downside risk, meaning essentially they could lose money. But if they manage that patient pool well, then they can have an upside. That's where the unique and innovative models come in. Because there are ways to curb costs. And it's not just about the cost. The cost really is incurred along with the quality of care. So, for instance, it costs less to send a handyman to a patient's home after a patient being discharged from a skilled nursing facility to make sure that she or he has what they need to have in order to have better outcomes at home. It costs less to pay a handyman $300 than that $30,000 bill that will incur once she goes to an emergency room because of that handle that wasn't there. So that's how how I see uh, value-based care.
1: Right. And so you've identified three legs of a stool, outcomes, patient outcomes, which we can measure quite easily, the experience and the financing of healthcare. And it's that third one I'm most interested in probing more into. You talked about upside, downside, and two-sided risk models. Can you give an example in each of those, what those risk models look like when, when we're talking about financing care?
0: That's a great question. Let's think about a capitation model. Medicare will contract with a health plan. So these health plans, think about your Humanas, think about your Aetna, United, those plans have a contract with Medicare. To go ahead and sell Medicare through managed care, which is Medicare Advantage, you can enroll in one of these health plans. And the way the health plan works is that the health plan gets a set dollar amount for each member that they cover for each month. So that's what they call in healthcare PMPM, per member per month. For example, these are hypothetical numbers, although they do apply in some markets. Let's say Medicare agrees that, okay, you United, I'll give you $1,000. For every patient, for every month that they're enrolled in the plan, whatever the cost of that patient might be, that's capped, it's capitated. The higher you are in that chain, the further you are from the care delivery. What you do is you take that capitation model and you bring it closer to the side of care. In a fully integrated and healthcare partners model, that side of care is also essentially the IPA. So... They've pushed the dollars even closer to side of care. But essentially, the risk there is that patient could cost more than that $1,000 a month. That's the downside. Now, if you think about all of the patients were assigned to that plan or are assigned to, for instance, primary care gets the same model in California, this capitation model. However, as opposed to $1,000, it's $80 per patient per month, whether or not that patient comes in that month. But right. if that patient is managed along an entire panel of patients who are assigned to that primary care physician, then that primary care physician has a tremendous opportunity to uh, risk manage effectively. That's the upside downside.
1: Right. So, that upside risk, if there is actual savings is split between the provider and the payer. So, when we're thinking about value. Based programs, how are you thinking through which risk is better? Which model is better for a general population? An upside risk, a downside risk, or sort of two tailed?
0: That's a great question. So, one, provider level of maturity and organizational capacity. And two, um, market fit and market readiness. Let's say you're in a rural market, you can't put that provider in a value based care program because there aren't enough folks out there. For you to want to scale a downside, that's the downside of value-based care. Right. There's right. provider level of maturities. If a provider wants to engage in upside risk and also downside risk, then they need to understand fundamentally there is really not a uniform model to apply. A uniform model would be in a way where you apply a blanket a framework designed to be adjusted to the most specific level of market nuances.
1: Thanks. That's a super helpful answer. Let's switch gears and talk about pay for performance programs. California is a leader in pay for performance programs. What can the rest of the country take away from this milestone? And alternatively, when considering global models from your point of view, who are the leaders and what can we learn from them?
0: It's hard to impose value-based care models in certain parts of the country, for example, rural countries, which we just talked about, and the fact that you need a large population, more than a 1,000, at least, to do capitation. Now, we really are at a tipping point. We're running out of money. Commercial health insurance through your employer is becoming increasingly expensive. The fact is that we're spending too much money for the outcomes we're getting. And the number one impetus is, unfortunately, again, how much it's costing. And the experience hasn't gotten any better over the last 10 years. And when I can't find a healthcare provider and my health plan directory says one thing, I call the provider office, they say another, but then the claim adjudicates yet another way. How much have we lost in terms of opportunity to invest in healthcare delivery? And so the health system is in such a peril as it is. And so California has set up pay-for-performance models. There are a lot of incentives to go ahead and push uh, dollars closer to the side of care. The health plans of the world, like Humana or Aetna, know they're going to have a certain kind of revenue uh, baseline and their costs are very predictable. So because California was a market that everybody wanted to enter, they started with medical groups and talk about value-based care, risk-based program. The pay-for-performance has really been around uh, how are we managing the panel of patients. The rest of the country and the culture is different. So uh, that's what the rest of the country could take from this milestone, realizing that rural America exists. And what we need to do is make sure that the resources that have been allocated here are then at least extended over there Mm -hmm. to places that are hard to reach. For instance, if you have a primary care nurse practitioner and it's the only one within 60 mile radius of another healthcare provider, then you need to make sure that you pay for existence and plus pay for performance, plus reimbursement adequately. That's what the country could take. Taking from these markets that are huge, extending their service delivery capacity to markets that have been under-resourced and under-invested So pay for performance is really how are we performing as a society? That's how we have to look at global models.
1: Sure, that's fantastic. One thing I want to discuss now is actually technology. As we start to enter into a new era of healthcare, a new ecosystem, as we try to re-envision what healthcare will look like, what are some of the technologies that will accelerate this process and provide the change that we have needed for quite some time?
0: Mm, Excellent question. Think about opportunity matching, value proposition-oriented networks using technology, market intelligence to match interested payers and providers for contracting and business development opportunities. That would accelerate access to be expanded. Technology companies have that abilities. Uh, healthcare companies want those abilities, but they don't know how to find one another. So technology has a huge role accelerating this access model we talked about and these value models we talked about. By linking folks, being able to Uberize, TechLink has done an excellent job at developing a framework for just this type of ecosystem development where you can bring opportunities together and match opportunity. Uh, data aggregation is another area that will accelerate the future. Uh, there's a little to no organization of data in a way that is uh, turnkey. So a data aggregation platform is of tremendous value because we get to spend more time on the care delivery side than on the administrative side. Not only time, but resource that we can invest um, into the communities, into patient experience. Data aggregation. We could do that. Also, any technology focusing on seniors. Are we providing seniors who are experiencing loneliness with solutions at home? So we're all teleconferencing. Now, how do we make that senior friendly? How does my grandma use that? And what technologies are in the Alzheimer's area? So Alzheimer's is a huge issue. And are we reimbursing for Alzheimer's? And what role does technology play in patient collections? These are some areas of technology that are more on the administrative side to really be able to implement all these other things we talked about.
1: Sure. You've been involved in many initiatives uh, ranging from value-based care, as we've discussed quite a bit, to parity for health services, tell us a little about these efforts. In your work, there's been a focus on biopsychosocial model of well-being. And this you touched on, particularly when uh, you were discussing seniors and the technologies were deploying to help that population. Can you tell us about this model and what role it plays in Care Nodes? Oh,
0: well, absolutely. Thank you for asking. I love biopsychosocial. Essentially, uh, back in 2010, my dear friend and I founded cardboard Origami at the School of Architecture at USC, had a project to take a streamlined trailer and convert it into something meaningful. And so what she did was she used that concept to create a foldable shelter using the art of origami, using cardboard material, to create a shelter that could be open and closed in less than a minute. And highly portable, waterproof, flame resistant. And so, essentially, by establishing the nonprofit that utilized that shelter, we wanted to make sure that we didn't exasperate the issue of homelessness because here's a sexy new shelter. It's patented, you have high privacy, it's insulated. We didn't want to uh, cultivate further homelessness, right? And be part of the problem by now littering the street with all these nice cardboard gummies. Instead, we wanted to make sure that there was a model to transition homeless folks into permanent housing, but you need a transition. You can't just go get someone off the street and put them in housing. And so the biopsychosocial model looks at, okay, immediate need is your homeless is a cardboard gummy shelter. So you have a sense of privacy, ownership, and all the benefits of having a cardboard gummy shelter, which is award-winning. And so here's your immediate need. And then step two, is connecting with the social services, navigate this sprawling uh, system of funding, eligibility. Three is placement to permanent housing, and then integration societies, when we get to step four, is by providing employment. Now, that model evolved into the healthcare delivery segment, which your mental health issue, let's say if you're depressed, you're no less different than someone with a chronic issue like diabetes. Just because we can't measure uh, mental health, chronic issues in a beaker, doesn't mean that they do not exist. And it shouldn't minimize the mental health element. So, when we talk about primary care, right, we usually envision a doctor or care delivery in the medical setting. But behavioral health and your bio side needs to be integrated. And then your social aspect, it's all the social determinants of health. So, this word captures the exact way we should approach looking at a human and looking at their needs in terms of well-being. So it's beyond the preventative model. We are looking at all the three areas, the biology, the psychology, and the society, which is social determinants of health, and then not looking at these things in isolation. Right now, fundamentally, they're in isolation. You go to this medical clinic for your primary care, you go to this mental health clinic for mental health, if you're able to access it, health insurance companies are separate, the networks are separate, It's the systems are separate, but you're one human with the same biology, psychology, and the, the society, all within, that makes you the person. So if you think about the model we have right now, it um, disenfranchises the human in a way, because it breaks down these elements that are really united into segments, and then we've build business infrastructure and business models around the notion that your biology, your psychology are two different things. Fundamentally, that's how the systems have been set up. So when we talk about biopsychosocial model of well-being, we're talking about a healthier and a happier society with better outcomes in terms of how do you feel on a scale of one to ten. Are you satisfied with your life? It's literally called life satisfaction survey from Dr. Lubromisky in the University of California uh, Riverside Research Center. And so essentially that rating says it all. We're we're talking about a, a human being who is able to have an indestructible core who's not wavered in the winds of life and is able to access Care when they need it, but instead, really should be proactive. System meaning: first, we need to start with unifying these various funding streams before we talk about biocycle social models of well-being coming to fruition.
1: I think that's absolutely fantastic. It's great to hear of organizations that are actually applying this model into their business models. There is a demystification. Of the healthcare business that needs to happen globally, a model that doesn't silo different components of someone's life, the biology, the genetics, the psychological and mental aspect of health, as well as the environment in which they're operating. And you've been able to integrate all of that into a finance model. And that's absolutely great to hear. So we'll, we'll begin to wrap it up there. But before we do, Any final insights or recommendations for those interested in staying connected to the next wave of innovations in healthcare?
0: Yes, absolutely. I would say get connected with TechLink Health and participate in these opportunity maximization platforms. That's one way to stay connected and part of the new wave of innovations. As an individual provider, you can enroll in care opportunity matching program. And that is another way to get opportunities. Reach out, reach out to resources, experts, engage, let folks know what you're interested in, what you're looking for, because you'll never know how many other people are waiting to hear about the same type of solution or the same type of value you might have to contribute and they don't know about you. So reach out, you can find me on LinkedIn, alex.carenodes.com and stay connected. And definitely get into these new networking programs, TechLink Health. be involved with uh, social media on LinkedIn, and be looking forward camaraderie. It's better to have a thousand organizations take one step forward than have one organization take a thousand steps forward. Join the march. Let's leave this place better than we found it.
1: That's amazing. I absolutely love that. And we'll be sure to link in the show notes to both your LinkedIn page as well as CareNode's website. And with that, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks so much, Alex. Appreciate Thank it. You so much.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. TechLink Health is a healthcare advisory platform for consumers and organizations to stay informed with the latest insights while connecting with healthcare experts for telehealth, e-consults, and consulting services. For more details, visit www.techlink.help.